Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Welcome back into the Fan Midday Show. Earlier today, finding out that the Colts at least know one date on their schedule. Colts. Patriots Sunday, November 12th, 9.30 in the morning. Yes, that's right, because it's being played over in Germany. And to talk about that game specifically and a lot more, we welcome on to the Midday Show here, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Joel, thanks for joining us. Do you have your hotel booked yet? Because that's probably the first thing I would be doing. Uh, no, although I do think that my the people of, uh, uh, ahead of me are trying to figure out uh, you know, can we get the flights, that kind of thing? Because this is a little bit different than uh, than some of the other games. You gotta, you gotta get get on this one right away, right? I I, I haven't flown overseas very often, but I think the prices go up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, you you gotta get ahead of that. Generally, if you can, by six months, ideally. But no, my first move, I think, would have been find the closest Marriott and uh, book that one just for now. The league, the league for some of these. <laughs> The league for some of these uh, overseas games, there's like a league hotel for sure. media. And that's where you want to be. So sometimes, well, it makes it easier because there's usually like shuttle buses and stuff, which help keep you from getting lost in another uh, in another country. Um, <laughs> although I didn't have any trouble. When I was, like last time I was overseas for a game was London with the, when I was covering the Saints. And, I mean, your phone does all the same stuff there as long as you have the right plan as it, you know, as it would here. So... I didn't have much trouble there, but Germany might be a little tougher since the the language is different. Joel, what do you remember most about that first international trip? Because I would imagine for you know some of the the younger beat writers or you know more inexperienced beat writers are still getting their feet wet. For example, we've had James Boyd here a couple days, and we were just talking to him about you know first year as a beat writer with the Colts that you would want to ask some of the veterans what an international trip is like for you. What was that first trip like uh, when you were with the Saints to London, and how at all will you be better prepared this time when you go? cover them in the fall well the the hardest thing is that the 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 week i went the the week i was in london was the week after the entire nfl uh knelt during the anthem um and so like we were over there the entire week the saints were over there the entire week and i don't think i got to ask a question the entire week because they were the only nfl team there the dolphins didn't show up until like friday and basically the entire world's media was at every practice, which is not, I don't think that's how it works normally when you're over there, but because of the story, uh, it was it was like, I mean, like just, just these huge gaggles of people. So I think it'll be very different. I think one of the things was, you know, just uh, kind of soak it up if you can. When you, when you have the full week over there, when you have the full week over there, I, I don't really anticipate I mean, maybe the Colts will do that, but I don't anticipate the Colts doing that. But I, we had two, we had two days where there was no access, so I I walked like a ton of London. Wow! Um, and uh, just to see it all, because I'd never been there before. And then the other thing I did, if, if if anyone's ever in London for a game, like I went to a, a QPR Fulham game match in uh, in 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 QPR's stadium, and that was awesome talk with um, my bad joel go ahead yeah it was just, it was just like we our, our guy in the cab that's the other thing listen to the listen to the locals because we were going to go to one of the big like league games and they were like no no no, that's going to feel like kind of corporate like if you want to get the what the real english football is like go to this game and man were they right it felt like i don't know it felt like a professional High, like like a, the high school like locality, but then like a professional stakes. It was it was crazy. We're joined by here by Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Joel, have you got any reaction in this short time from anyone from the Colts side of things? Are they excited? Did they know it was coming? Um, and also to that point, part of me thinks this could be really good because this forces the team to be together, kind of like a training camp all week. When they're all, all they have is each other over there in Germany. I think that can be good for a young team. 
I think uh, I think they probably have known about this one for a little while. I think the NFL gives teams a little bit of a heads up. You know, we've known that it was Patriots and Chiefs over there for a while. And my assumption is that, that uh, the other teams get, get a little bit of a heads up on that, too. So I think they probably have known about it. Um, I bet they're excited. I, I would bet that, you know, you know, team owner Jim Mersey is, is excited to go to Germany. You know, he, he loves that kind of stuff. Um, the league expanding and the league the league being all over the place. So I, I think he probably loves it. I think for the for the coaches and stuff, it's more just a, a little bit of a headache. I'll be interested to see if the buy is right around there, um, because it's a little bit of a headache with with traveling over there and then coming back and managing jet lag and all that stuff. So it's a little bit of a headache, but. Um, a little bit of a test for Shane Steichen too, having as a first-time head coach, like making his decision on when to go, how to handle all that stuff. I'm sure he's got somebody he can lean on for some advice. Joel, I'm sure you'll admire my creativity here with this next question. You know that game's going to be in Week Ten, and I can't help but notice the, the promotional poster right now. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's on there. You think uh, anybody else in the Colts roster will be uh, on that promotional poster by Week Ten, perhaps of the uh, quarterback variety? Well, I've I've been thinking ever since they drafted him, and I listen to Shane Sykin and Jim Irsay talk about, you know, you have to play him to, for him to get better. I've I've been thinking that it's that he's going to be on the field a lot earlier than that. Um, so yeah, I think I think Anthony Richardson. If, if if I had to guess, I think Anthony Richardson is is starting that game in London. It's probably not his first start. Or, sorry, in in Frankfurt. That's probably not his first uh, start of the season. Right? It might be like his eighth. Is that from? just your philosophy on it like everybody has a take on it or is that from where you think Shane Steichen will will have him and have observed him to that point obviously we're simulating a lot here and I know you've seen a little bit of him at rookie minicamp but there's still so much to unpack by the time training camp comes along is that just what you would do with the youngster or is that what you think will be seen on the field by the time we're at week four or five or whenever you think he'll get under center I'm I'm going off of what the Colts said. You know, both Steichen and Ursay said, um, you know, the best way for someone to get better is by playing. And obviously, uh, obviously Richardson didn't play a lot at Florida, so that's something that's something else to consider. And and I thought, you know, Chris Ballard obviously kind of pumped the brakes a little bit when I read, went back and read through those quotes and listened to those quotes again. Like I was thinking to myself, you know. Uh, it sounds more like he's talking about like level of play. Don't expect him to be Superman from like a he's you know winning the MVP in his first year type of thing. I don't rem- really remember him saying we don't know if we'll get him on the field right away. So and the other thing is Steichen has been asked multiple times about Gardner Minshew being the season opening starter, and he's kind of he's kind of downplayed slash pushed back on that both every time he's done it. So. I do think that there's a possibility that Richardson is starting, and it's it's mostly based on what I've heard. It's it's less of, uh, I mean, who cares what I think? I do, I Joel. Know the Colts don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the Colts don't, um, but I, I think that, that I think that that's what. It, and in a perfect world, you would absolutely have him be your day one starter. But I see right now is you truly need to see what type of command he has of the playbook, what he looks like with his teammates. So I totally understand the Colts, at least publicly, not even wanting to make it out that he's day one starter because they physically do not know until you can really see him with the line with all those different type of weapons. Joel, we are having this conversation, Jimmy and I here. Where do you stand just in general on the release of the schedule um, beyond kind of the selfish needs? Are you thrilled with it or are you one of those that are like, all right, let's just keep it moving and move on to the next news subject with the Colts? Yeah, it's kind of just a box to check off. We know who the opponents are, so I kind of know know who the – uh, what, what we're <laughs> completely agree. Kind of goes, I, I think. I think the things that I end up looking at uh, are kind of what you said. There's a lot of logistical stuff if you, if you travel. So, like, you know, you're looking at okay, when are we going to the north? Like last year it was like okay, we're in Minnesota in December. What is that like? Is that going to mean a delay? Um, are there are there flex games on the schedule? We had to do some weird stuff with how we travel to Minnesota because when they initially released it, it was like a flex. A flex game, and then the other, the, the really selfish thing I do is wherever they're on the road in September, 
um, and I know that there's there's some other guys at the beat who do this. Is is I check the major league baseball schedule to see if anybody's in town. <laughs> Classic. Uh, but but that's that's pretty much it's it's yeah, after doing this for a while. It's and the other thing I've learned is that the schedule, like what it seems like tomorrow, uh, when it when it gets released, like the stretches that look hard and the stretches that look easy, that almost always seems to change. Um, once you get into the regular season, even even when it's a good team, like I I remember uh, when I first got here in eighteen, looking at the back half of the schedule, I was like, oh, these teams aren't playing very well right now. Uh, this that should be easy for them. And the Colts did go on a run, but by the time they got to some of those teams, they were all playing really well. And it kind of had that kind of happens every year where you think the schedule looks one way, and then it ends up kind of manifesting itself a different way. Joel, I'm going to try to be as rational about this as I possibly can. When's the bye week, Joel? How many AFC South games are going to be in the first four weeks of the season? Are we not going to recklessly speculate what record the Colts will have by week 12? <laughs> Come on, man. The schedule's great. It's the opposite of me and Scott there. <laughs> uh, I get it. I understand as, as you get on the beat that it, it probably changes a bit, but it, it's the mystery and the NFL has, has their hooks in me, Joel, and they ha- have their hooks in all of, all of society. I can't Jimmy, help you're it. the reason they do it exactly like yes, this. Yes, I am. How they... You know, here give one tidbit to Good Morning America. You're welcome. And Earth. another one to Good Morning Football. Like, come on, <laughs> cross eye bear. <laughs> I I thought it would just be for you know road. I, there's a lot of Colts fans that travel for these games, and so I figure for for anybody who's got that on their docket, tomorrow night's pretty important because you want to know when you're going to, you know, whichever city. I I I don't want to uh, I don't want to cast aspersions on any city other than Jacksonville, but. Uh, you know, some some might be more attractive than others. So if you're if you're the, one of the fans who travels, I think tomorrow night's a, a pretty big deal for you. Yeah, that's fair because the two I'm thinking of right away: Cincinnati, Tennessee, both both interesting matchups. One di- more divisional. Who doesn't want to go to Nashville? And Cincinnati is really good. Yeah, I mean, you get to see Burrow and Chase and all those guys. Um, there's 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 a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, if you want to go to if you want to go to Carolina, uh, you're probably going to get to see Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. You know, that's that's fun. Rookie quarterbacks are fun when they're playing, to me. Um, and and uh, yeah, like I said, just there, there's a reason to go to almost every city, with the exception of Jacksonville. <laughs> Joel, when you look at where the roster is right now, and you look at the whether it was undrafted free agents they signed or, or the needs they still have, and you look at the available veterans that are on the market, do you think the Colts are are done at this point, barring you know a, a need if an injury would arise at some point between now and September? Do you think they're done with off season signings? They always end up signing somebody in this range, and then they always end up signing somebody in training camp who ends up playing some sort of significant role, uh, whether it's due to injury or whether it's just uh, a player emerges where they didn't expect him to. So th- there's probably going to be some minor signings. I-, I don't know that I see anybody on the on the market right now that I think the Colts are going to go after as a you know somebody who, who moves a needle right away. I think you're more looking at like the type of signing where you go, where you're halfway through the season and you're going, oh, I'm surprised that that guy's playing this much and having this much of an impact on the game. Joel, one of the things I always find curious is outside of the main conversation piece. So outside of Anthony Richardson, Colts obviously had a, a active draft. Outside of that obvious story, what's maybe the one player that intrigues you the most? You're tracking or you fell in love with his story or, or his perseverance to get where he is today just trying to make this team? Um, Jake Witt, the, the last pick of the, of the yeah. draft, is interesting to me. Um, teams, teams do this. like a, a lot of teams do this where they take somebody who's super raw and has incredible tools and they try to make somebody into something. And a lot of times it doesn't work, but when it does, it's real fun. And I kind of, I kind of, you, you can always suck me in with it. If you tell me a guy has has incredible traits, maybe hasn't played a position that long, um, the ceiling's super high, and you know that it might not, it might not go great. I, uh, I'm always in on that. I always want to see how those guys go because, like, you know, like the Eagles with Jordan Mylata at left tackle, that was a seventh round pick. 
he's not one of the better left tackles in the league. Like, that's that's fun stuff. So that stuff like that is the stuff that that interests me. Joel, last thing on my front, we asked Mike Chappell about this yesterday, Joel Erickson joining us of the Indy Star, about the Colts signing and just the, the great story of Butler's Tyler Adams and everything that he had, had to overcome. Uh, you also had, had a perspective of that about the different ACL injuries and COVID and everything that he went up that's up on the Indy Star right now. Yeah, it, it's it's a crazy story. If, if, I, if I told you that a, a guy who played at Butler or a school the size of Butler – had missed three seasons, three consecutive seasons, essentially, with he, he took some time off because he was at Harvard and the academic stuff. He was just he was at an internship, uh, and then COVID took a season from him, and then his ACL, he tore it twice, and it took all but a, a couple games from him. If I told you that a guy had 18 catches at Harvard and then went to Butler and put up a pretty decent season, you'd be thinking, okay, that's that's a that's fun, that's a cool story for Butler. I don't know if I'd see him in the NFL, but he, he fought his way in. He's got great straight-line speed. He tested in the low 4-4s four at his pro day. Um, and then they brought him out here for the tryout, and he, he made it on the tryout. So it's it's a really interesting story. It's it's crazy to think that he's, gonna, he's on the 90-man roster right now just given all the stuff he went through in college, but he did it. He, he, he got his chance, and he made it count. Joel, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to the full schedule just being announced as a whole here in a couple of days, don't we? Get excited, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll leave the excitement to you guys. You guys are way more excited about it than I am. (laughs) Thank you, Joel. That's Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Welcome back in to the Fan Midday Show, a glorious day here in downtown Indianapolis. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes, and a friend of the program now joining Tim Bontemps of ESPN. He's all over these games traveling to and from, and last night was able to witness Philadelphia's win over the Boston Celtics. And so, Tim, let's start there. What have you made out of this series? And to me, both how surprisingly well we've seen the 76ers play in Boston, lay another egg out there. I mean, yeah, it's been incredibly impressive to see the way the Sixers were able to win that game last night um, and, and come through in such comprehensive fashion. We haven't seen this team deliver like that and cut that kind of spot before, and they were able to do so in the biggest one yet last night and put themselves a win away from making the conference finals. Tim, where's been the biggest degradation for the Celtics being a, a whisper away from being up 3-1 in this series to now basically completely on the ropes as things head back to Philadelphia? Well, the Celtics have the deepest team in the league, and they have um, the most versatile roster in the league. And yet, despite that, they've really become a one-note team under Joe Mazzula. And, and saying that, what I mean is they, they've become a team that um, is just completely reliant on the three-point shot. And, and they are... When they shoot over 40% or better in a game this season, regular season playoffs combined, they are 34-2. and two. When they shoot under 40% in the regular season and playoffs this season, they are 29-28. and 28. So they essentially become a 500 team when they don't make threes. And while obviously making threes and not making threes is a pretty critical part of today's NBA, a team with as much talent as the Celtics have should not be a team that is so reliant on making three-point shots. And... I think that speaks to sort of the way this team has evolved under Joe Mazzulla, where last year, when Emilio Doka was the coach, they were a team that was sort of, they would, you know, Ime would lean deep for the decision making. They, they, they played the Robert Williams Al Horford lineup extended minutes. They went, played Grant Williams on. They kind of leaned to being bigger and more physical than their opponent. And this year, it's been the opposite. They, have tended to go the other way. You know, they're playing small. They're not really playing the Horford-Williams lineup at all. Um, you know, they, they've just tended to lean towards offense in their decision-making and in their approach. And while that has led to them winning a lot of games, you saw last night when their threes didn't fall, they didn't really have a plan B. And as a result, they're now one win away from going home early in the playoffs. I'm talking with Tim Bontemps of ESPN, and, and Timmy, I'm I'm curious what how big the conversation piece has been, just on the Celtics in terms of Joe Mazzulla and the, you know, I mean, we we heard guys come out and say how he apologized for a late game situation and not using his timeouts, and just I, I wonder 
is he a little bit over his head and, and unfamiliar maybe in this this light and they're missing guys like Ime Doku and Will Hardy on that bench? I mean, I don't really think this is a coaching thing. I think he, I think Joe has done a pretty deft job of taking the, the pressure off of his players for messing up the end of game four by saying you should have called a timeout. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is a team that has gone to the NBA Finals. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think, together have played 84 playoff games, right? These are guys who have a ton of playoff experience. If you're down one with 20 seconds to go, you probably should try to attack. And if you're Jason Tatum, you probably should just go up over Tyrese Maxey and shoot the ball from 10 feet, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, I, I, I just think this timeout stuff is kind of silly in general. And, look, the Celtics have had three coaches in three years, right? Brad Stevens, Emi Adoka, Joe Mazzulla. What is the underlying uh, – story of the Celtics over the past three years that they mess around and lose games they shouldn't lose, right? They did it last year throughout the playoffs with EMA. They did it this year with Joe. They did it two years ago with Brad. So I don't think this is a coach thing. I think this is a team that over time has shown that it is not really capable of taking care of its business when it's supposed to. And as a result, like I said, they now find themselves a game away from losing the sixer team which, you know, a lot of people, you know, including me, thought was a, an, an underdog going into this series. Joel Embiid was hurt. And after Embiid was, you know, pretty methodically dominant in game five, did exactly what the Sixers needed him to do to win. James Harden played well. And now these guys are one win away from not only getting to the conference finals, but having home court advantage throughout the playoffs and having, home, and, and having you know, probably playing an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, it is all sitting there for the Sixers in a way that it should be for the Celtics. And, you know, in a couple of days, if this goes Philly's way, Celtics are going to have a lot of regrets, I think, going into this offseason about how these playoffs shook out. Tim, we've been looking at kind of where the Pacers are. They're still clearly, you know, a, a year or two away from trying to get in the conversation of, okay, we should be there uh, within the top four of the of the conference, right? That's every team's dream. That's what the Pacers are trying to build towards. When you look at what's happened in this playoffs, uh, the, the word I keep using is perhaps a, an emergence of, of parity or a window of parity within the East because of the playoff makeup and because of what's happened at this point. Is there a shift there and an opportunity for teams like Philadelphia and I guess to a, a lower extent from a seating perspective, Miami, to grab that? And moving forward, is there at all a changing of the Garden East with teams like Milwaukee and Boston, or do you think they'll ultimately figure it out? Well, I mean, look, the teams with the three best records in the NBA this season were Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, right? So I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that if Philadelphia wins the East, there's any kind of real changing of the guard. I mean, yes, they haven't made it through to the conference finals or the finals before, but this is a team that is a very deep and excellent team. So I, I don't necessarily see a window like that being open. You still have the Celtics being, you know, young and very deep, very talented. They're going to be in the mix. The Bucks still have Giannis Tedekupo and, and their crew. We'll see who they hire as coach. But no, I, I don't really think that there's an opening to break through. Um, you know, and as far as the Pacers go, I mean, look, let's be honest, right? For the, play, for the Pacers to have a chance to really break through to that upper crust, they need to get really lucky next Tuesday. Yeah. They need to win the lottery. If they get Victor Wembanyama and they have – you know, going forward, a combination of Victor Wembanyama, uh, Hal Burton, and Benedict Matherin, and you know, Miles Turner, and the cap space. That's a team that, if if Victor develops the right way, that's a team that could be pretty special. But you know, that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. And you look at these teams at the top of the East, right? Giannis obviously was the 15th pick, but. Joel Embiid, top five pick. Jason Tatum, top five pick. Jalen Brown, top five pick. You know, like, yeah, there's Jimmy Butler and there's there's Giannis, but generally the way to get to that level is to have top-end talent. You look out west, the Lakers, two number one picks. Um, Kevin Durant, number two pick. Devin Booker, you know, another lottery pick. Like, they, you know, the, the Pacers have done a good job of building infrastructure in place, and Rick Carlisle's a great coach, and – you know, they've got a chance to take some real steps forward. Halliburton's a hell of a player, but 
they need some more pieces and getting lucky with Victor on Tuesday night would certainly be a big step in that direction. Yeah, very clearly a star-driven league and the Pacers are still needing that number one guy, I think. And that's what they could hope for beginning next week. We're talking with Tim Bontemps of ESPN. And, and Tim, I've been surprised about what we've seen in the playoffs from the Lakers, from the 76ers in particular, mostly because of health. I did not think LeBron and AD... Both would make it out completely doing okay. Wasn't sure about Embiid, and of course he missed that one game. But to go over to the other series that we'll watch tonight with Warriors-Lakers, what has stood out to you about that bunch, and what do you think the opportunity is here for the Warriors? Can they can they pull it together to win three in a row against LeBron and company? I mean, I think they can. I mean, let's go back to game four. Lonnie Walker was being driven thrown up, <laughs> having ATOs drawn up for him two minutes ago because LeBron and AD were not getting it done on offense, right? And Lonnie Walker almost outscored the Warriors by himself in the fourth quarter. That's both a credit to Lonnie Walker and an indictment of the Warriors that that was how they ended up losing that game. So, look, I think the Warriors are going to win at home tonight. I don't think they're going down at home. And then we'll see what happens on Friday. But really, to me, this is just going to come down to the energy and effort level of LeBron and AD. And can those guys summon it for 48 minutes on Friday in game six? Because they're probably going to lose tonight. And like I said, you look at the end of game four, and AD wasn't moving much, and LeBron was moving even less. And you're talking about playing every other night for the next five days, a lot of wear and tear on those guys and you know again what's game six going to look like i think if golden state you know i was just talking to an executive before they said when you're in this kind of situation you got to look at it as one game at a time not you got to win three in a row you have yeah. to win one game three times so golden state's got to go home and get a win and then this is a team that's won i think 28 or 29 straight series they've won a road game so they're going to feel like they can go into staples and win on friday and, you know, we'll see if they're going to be able to do so. Weirdly, it's a place that they've never played well. If you look at, like, Steph and Clay's shooting numbers, they've never shot the ball well there. Certainly played out that way the first two games. But, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating. It certainly has been good theater so far, and yeah. I'm sure that will remain the case as long as this series continues. I'm sure that from your perspective, Tim, it, you know they've they've garnered the proper respect. But when you look nationally, is it ultimately going to take Denver raising the Larry O'Brien Trophy before we, we we give them the proper respect they deserve? I think if Denver gets out of the West, they'll be in that position. I mean, if they if they beat Phoenix and they beat either the Warriors or the Lakers and they take out Katie, Steph, and or LeBron in the playoffs, uh, I think they're going to be just fine from a respect standpoint. And. Uh, and look, I think that's somewhat justified, right? The, the Nuggets have not gotten through the playoffs before. We have not seen Jokic be able to hold up in these kind of situations before. And let's see if Denver does it. You know, still not over yet. They still got to get another win against Phoenix. But look, I think if they get five, I think if they get five more wins and get out of the West and get to the finals against Embiid or Jimmy Butler or the Celtics, I, you know, I think the respect factor will be there for them, and they'll have earned it. And it'll be full credit to him. And I thought you saw in game five last night, you know, Phoenix, the Devin Booker in particular has been absolutely unbelievable in these playoffs. But having to rely on him shooting 75% on 20 shots a game and defense and handling the ball over and over and over again, I just never thought was a very sustainable <laughs> strategy. And it's not really, it's a strategy by default, right? Because they don't have the depth on their team. But this is why I haven't really believed in the Suns from the beginning. And it's why they're in a 3-2 hole. Why I think they're probably going to lose this series. Because you go back to game four, you mean, everybody remembers Devin going for 36 on 14 for 18 shooting. The reason they won that game was Lance Shaman hit four threes in the fourth quarter, right? And, like, they just haven't had the depth players step up and make plays for them because they just aren't really good enough to be a championship-caliber supporting cast. And I, I think if they end up losing one of these next two games, that's going to be the story for Phoenix going into the summer. Can they find the necessary depth around those two guys to give them the help they need to get all the way next year. Tim, last thing here. Just curious, in your, you cover the Sixers an awful lot, and Joel Embiid finally being MVP this year. You wrote today about getting this opportunity, one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. How much is he relishing and enjoying this as much as he is a competitor out there? The thing that stood out to me, Scott, about that game last night was just how methodically focused the Sixers were from the beginning, right? This is a team, as you guys both know, that has had its fair share of playoff disappointments and 
uh, collapses and, um, you know, losing to, Houston, losing to Atlanta a couple of years ago, the way they lost to Miami last year, getting drilled in games five and six of that series. And I thought during the game and after the game last night, this team is just very focused and locked in on what it has the ability to do right now with this opportunity in front of them. And you look at, um, you know, Joel Embiid has talked to me a lot this year about wanting to do two things. He's wanted to win a championship. He's wanted to win MVP. And the reason he wanted to do those things is because he wants to be seen as an all-time great player. And he is now, like you said, one win away from hosting not only the Eastern Conference Finals against the but having home court advantage in the Finals against Biden. And they might not ever have a better chance than right now to get to the Finals and win a title. And I think he sees that, and I think the Sixers see that. And I think you saw that in how they approached that game last night. And I think you saw it in how the Celtics didn't, in that that's just been the story of the Celtics over these past several years. And it's been the difference to me between the Sixers this year and the Sixers in past years. Philly has eight comebacks to 15 or more this year, most in the league. And they've just shown a repeated ability to fight back from adversity and to show some steel and resolve they just didn't have in the past. And if they can do that one more time, like you said, the big fella's been spending a long time waiting to achieve these things, and everything is now potentially right in front of them. That and it means Celtics Bucks don't even advance to the conference finals. All very interesting. Thanks so much, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, guys. Talk to you soon. Appreciate that from Timmy B. Tim Bontemps of ESPN. You hear him with... Brian Winhurst on the Hoop Collective podcast, as well as he's the author of the longtime ESPN.com MVP poll, which has basically turned out to be true. I think he's done it like seven or eight years. Uh, And so he does a really nice job of kind of giving advance. This is where it's trending based on a collection of at least a couple of reporters in every media market. But good to get a national perspective, certainly there on a, a variety of things across the league. And. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, Scott Agnes, along with Eddie Garrison here in the DriveHubert.com studios. We continue along our journey throughout the NBA today. Joining us now, he is the play-by-play voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors, works thoroughly with the entire Warriors organization, and also had an opportunity to call a number of Victor Wembanyama games in the NBA app. It is Kevin Dana. Nice enough to take some time with us. Kev, how you doing, man? Hey, doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you making time for us. I know your schedule is all over the place with the, with the G League season having wrapped up a couple weeks ago and the Warriors and Lakers still battling it out as we speak. I, I want to start, though, with a local angle from our perspective, which is much like every franchise that's in the lottery it's going to have representatives out there next Tuesday hoping praying doing seances if you will that Victor Wembanyama is going to end up on their roster next year uh, you saw him firsthand for a number of different broadcasts the NBA app uh, is the hype very much real from your first hand account man the, the hype is definitely very much real I mean this, this guy Jimmy is I mean, we just haven't seen anything like him, really. It's just the, the seven four with the eight foot wingspan, with the low, tight handle that he has. I mean, shooting threes off one foot, and making them. He had like a stretch earlier this year where he had like a running three off one foot in like three out of four games or something like that. And I mean, it just like became part of his bag for a little bit. And then you add that with the defensive IQ he has. I've I've seen a highlight of him. Uh, this was in a game that I didn't do where he guarded all five guys in one possession and like <laughs> eventually forced a miss and I, I think got the rebound. And he leads the French League, which is I think people would tell you it's like a top three European domestic league or top five somewhere in there um, behind Spain, of course. And, you know, Turkey's pretty good. But uh, he leads that league in scoring, rebounding, and blocks. Uh, and uh, he's on a team that, quite frankly, doesn't have like great talent compared to the rest of the league, and they're second in the league out of 18 teams. And I mean, it's all because of Victor Wembanyama. The draft combines next week. Victor not among the 78 78- players listed uh, because he's still playing right now 
kind of a great excuse. Yeah. As we're joined here with, by Kevin Dana to talk about Victor Wembanyama. I'm curious. I know it's obviously from afar, miles and thousands of miles away here. But beyond his game, have you been able to read into how he's handled situations, handled pressure, handled being the guy, and and what NBA execs, fans, players alike are looking forward to in the future with him? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, like you mentioned, I, you know, I'm broadcasting these games remotely. Uh, I did see him up close and personal in Las Vegas when they played Scoot Henderson in G League Ignite. That was a blast, uh, too. So oh, much fun. Just incredible. That, that really turned into a where were you went moment. Like, you know, hardened scouts and reporters are giggling like school children watching him do the array of things that they've never seen anyone at 7 4 do. But the one thing that, that does stand out is. He has a very calm and composed demeanor out there. Like, he'll get enthusiastic for his teammates, and when he makes a big play late, and he has tip jam to beat his former team with, like, two seconds to go in the game, and he got really pumped up about that. But he, he's really calm, cool, and collected out there. Um, and he doesn't put all of his self-worth from the articles that I've read about him in basketball like he loves it it's what he does but he also considers himself an artist uh he you know he's into high fashion uh he he's into other things that make him kind of a more well-rounded person than just being all basketball all the time and obviously he he spends his vast majority of his day training playing doing all that that said he he isn't just someone who is going to have a bad game and then it's just going to bother him the, the rest of the week. He, he does seem to have a pretty level head about as awesome as this is. It is just basketball. There's more to life than basketball. And so I do think that that will help him. And the other thing about his mentality that I really like is that, you know, a guy after scoring 37 points being 7-4 could have shut it down after the first game in Vegas. But his agent quickly went and came out and said, Boonanjai, he's not shutting it down. He's going to play this entire season with his French League team. And it's really helped him kind of discover new aspects of his game, kind of explore his game. They give him the, the green light to do anything on the court, including taking, like, contested threes with three guys draped all over him, fading away from 26 feet. Like, he's just exploring out there, and he's still 21-10 and three blocks per game and so he has a real competitive motor he wants to win and uh that that's something i think that will certainly bode well for him once he comes over to the nba kevin dano with this broadcaster for the nba as well as the voice of the g league warriors out in santa cruz nice to take some time with us here on the fan midday show kevin for years and years the nba has continued to magnify their goal of showing basketball is, goes beyond borders, that you can find international superstars continuing to grow and expand the game. We've seen it with Giannis. We've seen it with Jokic. And now, obviously, we're seeing it here with Wembenyama. Obviously, those are all great things that the league likes to see. But but is this the continued second or third step in it becoming more commonplace to find the next great superstars for the NBA that aren't stateside? Yeah, I think this is kind of a byproduct of, you know, a project that David Stern started way back in the day about making basketball appealing to the masses, you know, kids watching the Dream Team in 92 and seeing the Americans stomp all over everyone beating, you know, Angola by 70 points or whatever it was and just cruising to a gold medal. Like, those days are over because of how well, like, the NBA has marketed itself to the world. And like you mentioned, we get the Giannis's, the Embiid's, the, the Jokic's, and now the Wembenyamas of the world. And, look, the Olympics are in Paris in 2024. The Americans already lost to France in the preliminary stages in Tokyo. Didn't beat them by much in the gold medal game. I'm not saying the French are going to be favorites in 2024. I know this isn't exactly the question you asked, but I, I, I would almost – think that the French would win the gold in 2024 when you add Victor Wembanyama to that team. They might get Joel Embiid, too. But it's it just, yeah, more and more often, we are going to see top prospects be born outside of the United States. There are a lot of good French prospects 
beyond Victor Wembenyama. Bilal Koulibaly, his teammates, can be a projected first-round, early second-round pick. Zachary Risa-Shea, who's playing for Asvel right now, 17 years old. He's like a top-five projected pick in 2024. Ryan Rupert, who's playing in New Zealand right now, the NBL Next Stars program, projected late lottery pick this year. Like More and more often, we are going to see top prospects come from outside of our borders. And that's exactly what we have, at least for the last five years, the MVPs, all foreign players. And I forget what the percentage is, but Adam Silver mentioning something, I want to say like 30% of the league now come from outside the United States. I forget what the exact number is, but that's the way in which uh, we're moving, just the development of the game. I think the Africa League is kind of not been what they had hoped just yet at least but that's why you also see to bring it back to the G League too you see a team in Mexico City and and the G League Ignite which hasn't really completely turned out I think as hoped but we're joined here by Kevin Dana play-by-play announcer for Santa Cruz Warriors I'm curious what do you think just in general of Mad Ant's nickname so the Mad Ants by the way are getting a new name here Kevin um, yeah. A lot of unique names when you talk about minor league sports. Where does Mad Ants stand out for you? I loved it. I mean, I remember <laughs> learning about General Matt Anthony Wayne when I, there you I go. made my first trip to Fort Wayne in 2013 for uh, the first round of the D-League, as it was called back then, the D-League playoffs between Santa Cruz and Fort Wayne. Three straight years, Santa Cruz and Fort Wayne met in the playoffs. I remember my lovely nights at Don Hall's guest house uh, <laughs> a couple of miles away. Uh, I used lovely um, – uh, euphemistically, I guess we could say, or that, that's not the right word. But uh, if anyone who's been there, they, they know what that hotel is like. Um, but first off, I'm very upset that they're not going to be in Fort Wayne. Not um, answer was a great name. It was unique to the town. I know why they have to. You know, there there was not a general Matt Anthony Wayne in Noblesville, Indiana. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, I imagine they're going to be called the Noblesville Pacers or something like that. Uh, that's what everyone does. Of course, Santa Cruz Warriors. I think we were the first team to, to name our G League team after our NBA team. Um, and, and the league didn't like it at the time. They wanted it to be something like kind of more zany and wild, like the Red Claws or the Mad Ants or the Big Horns or something like that. Uh, I, I I'm going to miss. Uh, Fort Wayne, the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Uh, it's unfortunate. I remember when they filled that thing up for the 2014 uh, D League Finals and they won their first ever championship. Um, I was in the house for that game. Uh, it was a heck of a game. Uh, Seth Curry was playing for, for Santa Cruz. Of course, he's gone on to have a nice career. But yeah, uh, yeah, part of me is really sad that Fort Wayne will be no more in the, in the G. Kev, last G League tied question to you. Whenever we have an, a local angle, we, we like to give an update on it. I know that he wasn't uh, there last year, but you had an opportunity at least to have uh, former Purdue standout Trevion Williams with the Santa Cruz Warriors now in the Capital City Go-Go. Uh, what you kind of saw from him during his time, uh, the former Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year playing out there in Santa Cruz in your system? He was one of the most exciting, like, big men in the G League this year. I mean, just you know, just to see a guy like that, like a passing big man who, who's kind of doing Harlem Globetrotter-esque tricks. I mean, he's not like full Harlem Globetrotter right. and one or anything like that. But, like, he can do some of that stuff, kind of show the ball in your face, bring it back, you know, really cheeky behind-the-back bounce passes. He was a lot of fun. The, the, the downside of that play is if he didn't, execute the home run pass it was a turnover the other way you know santa cruz gave the ball up like 21 times uh per game this year for a good chunk of the season i think they might have got it under 20 at the end of the year but we had like a 34 turnover game once it was like so the downside was there's a lot of turnovers the upside was when a highlight was made it was awesome and i loved watching travion williams play i i was i was a big fan of his game and he did some nice stuff after the trade to, to Capital City, um, and Senators got Jordan Shackle out of that, and he was a great shooter uh, for for the C-Dubs. But, yeah, dude, that, that guy's fun to watch, man. I, I, I really am a Travion Williams fan. 
There's actually a lot of indie connections, I think, about Seth Cooper, the head coach, was a, yep. a manager at IU. Noel Hightower was a player development intern with the Pacers this yep. two years ago, and this year, first year as a head coach, Nick Kerr, son of Steve Kerr. And so um, what do you enjoy most about calling Santa Cruz Warriors games and seeing these guys develop in their own careers, right? Yeah, no, I I just love – watching the G League. I, I don't know. I, I grew up liking more kind of like underground music, if you will, and mm-hmm. the G League's kind of the underground. Like, there's a lot of good talent if you look just under the, the cream of the crop that that's waiting to kind of burst through. And, and, you know, I've had a chance to call games featuring Rudy Gobert, Patrick Beverly, Seth Curry. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I've seen Steph Curry practice and Clay Thompson scrimmage in the G League, DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just been – and it's awesome to see, like, the guys that you wouldn't know about otherwise, the Kiwi Gardeners of the world, you know, for – I mean, that name probably doesn't mean anyone much to people in Indianapolis, but you know, a, a Bay Area hoop mixtape legend get his <laughs> shot in the G League and then score 23 points on Dennis Schroeder in the fourth quarter of a game to lead an 18-point comeback. Just stories like that uh, that, that I absolutely love. And you know, being able to say that you saw that player before they became what they are today. Um, like I didn't do a Chris Middleton game, but Chris Middleton was mm-hmm. in the G League and you know his, his spot in the NBA wasn't super secure the first couple of years and then he blossoms into an all-star. So... Yeah, just stuff like that I, I I just love. And the pace of the game is fun. First to 125 wins a lot of the time. You can get and you get just some, some wild, crazy games and some see some interesting gimmicks over the years. So that's what I love about it. I've been there eleven years and uh, obviously I'd love to be in the NBA one day, but if I'm there another forty years, uh, I wouldn't be too mad about that. Kevin Dana with us, play-by-play voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors. Nice to take some time here on the Fan Midday Show. All right, Kev, we've we've had our fun. We've had positivity. We've had enjoyment. We've had some laughs, but you knew we were going to arrive here at some point. Yeah. I will say one thing, though. I'm not counting out Golden State until I see the body. We joked about that uh, yesterday. Your thoughts on how this series has taken a turn for the worst out in Golden State. I know on, on 95.7 The Game, you've hosted a, a Warriors round table already earlier this week. What's the pulse of the fan base? What's the pulse inside Golden State? And uh, does this thing get to seven? I, I, I think the, the pulse is at least the, the, the fans that I've listened to calling the show, you know, calling the radio station stuff, driving up to the station, uh, is it's not super doom and gloom yet just because you're conditioned to expect Steph Clay and Draymond to figure a way out. And they figured their way out of a 3-1 hole before in 2016. And then, of course, uh, in the very next round, gave up a 3-1 lead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously they're seven years older now. Um, the, the, the roster around them isn't what it was with Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, or when they had Kevin Durant. Uh, they're they're not as deep as they used to be. That being said, like, no, they didn't win game one. No, they didn't win game four. There is an alternate universe where this is at least tied and maybe they're up 3-1. To me, it comes down to, I uh, don't want to be overconfident about game five, but I feel pretty good that they're going to win game five. It just comes down to, can you win a game six? If you can win a game six, and Golden State has won a road playoff game in 28 straight series ever since the start of Stephen Curry playing playoff games for the Warriors, they're gonna they got a chance, and, and so they haven't won a road game in this series yet. And Game Six is their only opportunity left to do so, and it's gonna come down to to that. Assuming that they get past the Lakers tonight, which I know is not a sure thing, but. I, I think a lot of people around the Warriors feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to get this one. Steve Kerr said on our airways in 95-7 yesterday that the, the team is now excited about trying to you know, take on this new challenge. And, and they have played their best basketball all year with their backs against the wall. They're down 2 nothing to Sacramento. They found another gear. And they, they were really close in those first two Sacramento games anyway. Um, when they 
you know, they've won eight of their last ten regular season games to avoid the play-in uh, tournament in the last uh, last day of the regular season. They got some help from, you know, Sacramento and Portland resting guys, not, not exactly trying to win, but when they have absolutely needed wins this year, even though they were 44-38, and 38, they found a way to get those wins. And I'm not saying they're going to win this year. I'm not saying that they can – that they are actually going to do this, but I feel confident that this is going to be a deep series. Focusing on tonight, last thing on my end, what is it that needs to happen tonight? I mean, obviously the, the, the home and road splits are what they are. They're a significantly better team at home, but is it a 35-plus performance from Steph? Is it the Splash Bros combining for 70? Is it Jordan Poole you know, putting anything in the basket for however many minutes he gets? What, what does it come down to tonight in terms of the offensive prowess of this team? Yeah, you know, I, I think someone needs to come along for the ride with Steph a little bit. Like, Wiggins scored... 17 points, but even he after the game last uh, Monday night saying, there are shots I need to hit. They gave him wide open threes in the fourth quarter, and Wiggins really couldn't cash them in. Clay Thompson's going to need to score more than the nine points he did, and he took a couple of really bad shots down the stretch, and he knows it. And You could see the exasperated look on <laughs> her and Draymond's face after one of those shots in, you know, near the corner, kind of that angle three right by uh, their bench down one with like a minute 40 to go uh, just a shot that didn't need to be taken there uh and but that's kind of you know but clay can also make that shot and maybe he makes that shot here in in game five i don't know how much jordan Poole we're gonna see i kind of think it's come down to you throw him out there for a stint in the first half and he and if he produces and he plays well then he gets another stint in the second half and if he plays well there you keep him on the floor but I don't think he's a guaranteed – I mean, he only played like 10 minutes uh, in game four. I don't think he's a guaranteed, you know, 25-plus minute-a-night guy for, for for game five, for sure, considering the, the way he has played. I thought they had a lot of good stuff with the GP2 getting the start. I wonder if he's going to start again today. I've, I have no idea, but, like, he got layup after layup after layup when they were involving, you know, he was being guarded by Anthony Davis and they were involving him in the screen and then there was nobody to protect the basket and it was just open layups all day for GP2. I imagine Darvin Ham will have an adjustment for that should GP2 get the start again. But look, look, yeah, Stephen Curry was tremendous even though he was 3 of 14 from 3 in game 4. Uh, but he is going to need a little more help than he got uh, in game four if they want to prolong this series. He's Kevin Dana. Take some time with us on the fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Kev0408. Kevin, always appreciate talking to you. And in regards to that lineup answer, you know, we might not know, but let's, it's 223. Shams will probably have that broken in an hour and a half. Just give it time. You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, and Steve Kerr will be very happy about that. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it, my man. Hey, thank you so much. That was an incredible moment before, oh, before the last game, especially for us in media. But <laughs> <laughs> the fact he, he basically was like, yeah, we have, a, I think he was a consultant or, or uh, what something inside that's directing to him, which in other words is also him saying, we got to prevent that. Yeah. No more of this. And if you're listening and you're that guy, stop it.